Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. All right, well, welcome to the Digital Foresters Podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Max Nova, COO of NCX, formerly known as Sylvia Terra. Max, how are you doing today? Doing great, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, it's good to see you again because I haven't seen you, I swear, in a couple of years. It might have been up in the Northeast. Uh, I still remember fondly. It might have been we were at an event and we were actually at one point trading stories about uh, health and tracking and yeah, these gadgets. And I always love chatting with you because the best way I could describe it is like you're a hustler, you're a go-getter, technically savvy. Even when we were staying at places, it's like, where are you staying? You're like, oh, a couple miles that way. I'm like, why are you, why aren't you staying here? And, and it was like, cost was always like at the forefront, you know, we're lean, we're hustling and stuff. And, and I just love that uh, about you. But today you're coming to us from where? I'm down here in Austin, Texas these days, but still working hard. Austin, Texas. Nice, nice. A lot of, uh, I believe people who have fled other areas of the U.S. and Austin seems to be uh, the place to be. So um, to kick things off, I always ask our, our, our speakers to describe how they got into forestry. So maybe introduce, you know, whether there's a familial tie or if it was really school or, or what shit, what got you going into that space of forestry? Sure. Yeah. Well, my, uh, my father is a urologist, so I knew pretty early on that that was not <laughs> going to be my career path, but uh, I went to undergrad thinking that I was going to be pre-med and uh, that I, I was pretty swiftly disillusioned uh, from that path along with, uh, you know, half of my, my class there at school. But um through through my sort of wanderings through well what do I even do with my life now that I'm gonna not gonna be pre-med anymore I ended up doing a summer internship at the Yale School of Forestry which is where I met Zach who is who's my co-founder and uh, is the CEO of NCX and it was an awesome summer and you know forests I think are just so fascinating I I, I was a really kind of math computer science oriented guy uh, and, and it's not something that I think a lot of people on the outside really appreciate is how sort of technical and quantitative forestry really is. And so to me, that was, uh, yeah, I just fell in love with, with forestry and I haven't looked back and now we're 11 years in. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I often joke forestry is, is one of the most complex spaces of work and people often think, you know, toilet paper, cardboard, Kleenex, you know, the usual stuff, but they don't often realize it's, it's a fuel source. It's in clothing, the clothing you may be wearing may have uh, forest products there, but uh, fascinating from that point of view. So you mentioned Zach. So Zach's obviously co-founder, CEO of, uh, of NCX, as you said. Um, so maybe tell me more about that relationship. I know as you guys were early on, you know, young guys, you know, as I think about some of the technology you guys were building, where did some of those ideas come from? Was it really, you know, while at school kind of hacking, hustling, you know, the, the proverbial garage, we're in the garage doing our thing, but where did some of these ideas that would eventually form the basis of your technology and even NCX. And we'll go there. We'll try and go through that, that, that temporal journey. But, but where did that, that magic, I guess, come from? Was it really just personalities? You guys just jived or, or was there some mentorship, you know, people uh, prodding you? Obviously your dad was probably disappointed that you weren't carrying the, the family trade in urology, but I'm sure he's, he's probably uh, he, he proud and excited. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but was there a spark that got you to kind of on that journey? Yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, our, our version of the garage was a, uh, a dark basement lab at the Greeley, you know, it's this building called Greeley at the Yale School of Forestry, which isn't even in like the main building. It's like this sort of like you know uh, satellite uh, lab that they have way, way, way up the hill. 
Uh, and that, that's where Zach spent a lot of his time doing his master's at Yale. And, you know, really the, the core vision for Sylvia Terra, what's, you know, what's now NCX, uh, really came from Zach. I mean, he's, Zach has this kind of really unique perspective on forestry where he, he's very quantitative, but he's also been out in operations and he also understands the policy angle and the economics and you know, all, all the ecology, all, all of these things that have to come together to be a, a truly great forester. You kind of have to see the whole picture. And to me, that's what's always been really fascinating about forests is I think they are some of the most complex systems on the planet. Uh, and Zach just has this, this intuition for, for how to think about forestry and forest management and putting, you know, things like carbon and wildlife habitat and all of these sort of uh, what people think of as ecosystem services on the same economic footing as timber, which is really what the, the mission of our company is these days. And that, that was Zach's vision from the very beginning. But, uh, you know, we, we had a long, long way to go uh, to get to where we are, are now. And so we, we started off uh, really just with sort of satellite-based remote sensing of forest inventory, because that was, that's kind of step one. You know, if you don't get the measurements right, right everything else is made up. So right. step one was get the data in place. Right. So did, did the two of you ever think in the early days that, you know, that that entrepreneurship route would be the path you guys were, were going uh, per se? Was that always kind of the, the grandiose plans? Because it sounds like, like a lot of times people say you got to have the hacker, you got to have the hustler and you got to have the money man to get that trifecta going. So sounds like, you know, I know you're technical by default and sounds like what you described by Zach, you know, the visionary thinking big picture, then obviously, you know, money's money, but uh, was that always the plan? You know, at what point did you guys go, you know what, we're going to launch um, Sylvia Terra back then again, formerly now known as NCX, but in the early Sylvia Terra days, like, like, was that what you guys thought? Like, you know, as young guys, like, yeah, we're going to, you know, incorporate and then like charge for like, what, what was that spark that put you guys down that path? Yeah. Well, so, you know, th this was, Zach was trying to figure that out actually for himself was, you know, what, what do I do with my life? You know, do I just go on and get my PhD? Do I go the academic route? Do I go work in industry? And, you know, he, he had worked at Plum Creek or, you know, what, what's now Warehouser, I guess, uh, before he, he started at Yale. And he was, you know, he asked people that he worked with. He's like, hey, like, what journal should I be publishing this in? And they're like, man, we don't read these journals. Like, build us a tool, like, you know, give us something that we can actually use out here that is going to solve real world problems. And so it was, you know, Zach was kind of coming around to that idea. I had been very entrepreneurial, um, you know, even back, like I started my first company in, in high school. And so I kind of had the bug, you know, that, that yeah. company didn't go anywhere, but you know, I, I, I had this, this idea in college. I was like, you know, maybe I'll find somebody that, you know, I, I knew that I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I was some random undergrad uh, and I, I found Zach and he just had such a clarity of vision for what the future of forestry uh, and forest economics could look like. And I said, you know, we should, we should really think about turning this into a business. And so, so we did, but you know, I mean, Zach, Zach, uh, you know, he, he's a very interesting guy. Cause he, he's got this combination of the, the forest vision, but he's also very technical. Like he actually wrote a lot of the, the early statistical side of things. And then I was kind of the plumbing side, you know, building all the engineering stuff to scale it up. Uh, we, we could go way down the rabbit hole on some really, really gnarly debugging uh, situations that we had in the early days, but, you know, and then like now Zach actually doesn't spend hardly any time thinking about the technical component of what we do anymore. It's all like, you know, talking to the big landowners, talking to policymakers, yeah. and it's much more of kind of a traditional business role. And, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the awesome things I think about 
doing a, a business and especially starting really small is you, you have to wear a lot of hats. And so Absolutely. Zach and I've certainly worn a lot of hats over the last decade. Well, it, it's great to, to wear those multiple hats and, and know what it's like to be in those, uh, in those shoes as you, you kind of scale. So, so think of yourself, I, I remember like, it's interesting. So that, that, that business you started in high school, what was it about? What just more out of curiosity, uh, uh, obviously, uh, it didn't become the Facebooks of the world, but there's gotta be a good story behind that, that, uh, startup. Yeah, when I was uh, school administration software, and I was like checking out textbooks and and stuff like that. We we had just built it uh, for our high school, and then yeah, there was a couple a couple other high schools in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I grew up, uh, that that were using it. But you know, it didn't go anywhere. But it was a great learning experience, you know, to build something from scratch to actually have real users getting feedback from people about like, man, this thing totally sucks. Like none of this works. Like it's super slow and whatever, and, you know, and having to fix that and get into that cycle of, of improving the product. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, we maybe made like $5,000 or something in the whole, you know, life cycle of, of that company, but it was, uh, it was great exposure. And, and yeah, you know, we worked so hard on that thing back then, you know, and, and, and having to pull the plug on it too. I mean, that was, uh, you know, I, I actually, did not pull the plug on that business until we really got going with, uh, with NCX. Uh, okay. and that was, that was a tough, that was a tough call actually, you know, personally for me, you know, it's something that you've poured so much of your soul into and, and yeah. knowing when you have to, you know, just focus has been one of the big, big learnings for us. Yeah. And, and for yeah. Me personally. Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes, uh, stopping something or saying no to something is, is the the hardest thing and absolutely uh focus we'll talk more about that in a moment but uh focus is is key now now i also remember talking to you you've got an international travel you've gone different things i don't know was it sweden the connection i'm yep. not sure if that's still at play but but tell me about that uh, because often when i talk with people that are doing these amazing things in forestry technology as you're kind of hinting on it's diverse people with diverse interests that have uh, early starts in some things. Typically, they end up in failure. I don't say that in a, a bad way, as opposed to, you know, fail fast, you know, often hear about that, but broad experiences. But the other thing I'm noticing is a lot of these folks, um, that, that, that worldview they have is also shaped by their experiences in travel. And tell me more about that, 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 uh, that, that, that link with Sweden, maybe if it's, if it's at play. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and you know, just to be to be totally sort of cards on the table here, Zach's far more of an international mystery man than I am. You know, Zach's <laughs> uh, career in forestry has taken him all over the place, from you know Brazil to Armenia, uh, and and lots of places in between. Uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in Sweden just because my wife is from Stockholm originally. So I, I uh, usually, un unfortunately, I, I end up spending the holidays in Sweden. I would much rather spend the summers in Sweden. Uh, the, yes. the, the holiday season is a little dark and cold for my taste in, in Scandinavia, yeah. but, uh, but it's great to spend time with her family over there. My, my Swedish is still not so great, but uh, <laughs> yeah, most people in Sweden, their English is, is flawless. So. Yeah, absolutely. I remember last time I was in Stockholm, I think it was, it was spring and it wasn't that by our Canadian definitions that warm and and you know us Canadians like you know it's 10 degrees Celsius we're in shorts already type of thing but everybody all the Swedes were out and about on the patio and, oh, yeah. and until someone told me it's like it's dark so long Kev it's like as soon as it's kind of nice it's like we're all out and they were oh, all yeah. out like pretty much oh, yeah. 18 hours of the day so so cool connection there uh per se so um let, I'm going to move you forward in some of the discussions so thinking about uh plot hound and cruise boost yep. walk me through the thinking of, of plot hound it was a 
free piece of software, obviously for timber cruising. Um, you know, as we talk about Zach, as we start getting more into the, the, the technical stuff. And I know you mentioned like both of you were pretty technical at the start, but maybe for our listeners, tell us um, what Plot Hound is and, and how it ties with Cruise Boost and what, what the general thesis was around what you were trying to do with that. Yeah, sure. And, you know, th this is going to be useful to talk about, too, because I think it's going to illustrate the big pivot that we've made in our business. Um, for the last 10 years, I would say we've we've really focused on kind of a pre precision forestry, for lack of a better term. You know, like, how do you get good measurements of what's actually going on in the woods at a resolution that's uh, much finer than, you know, what you would typically do with a, a traditional timber cruise? Uh, and so Cruise Boost was kind of our core offering where we would combine a small amount of field measurements with remotely sensed satellite imagery and use that to generate these high resolution forest maps. Uh, and so, yeah, part of the, that though is how do you collect the field measurements to calibrate that? And early, early on in the company, my job was to get faxes of people's tally cards and manually input that data into Excel <laughs> spreadsheets. And I was like, man, I surely there's a better way. Yeah. I was like, there's gotta be an app for this. And, and there just wasn't, you know, I mean, this was back in 2010 yep. or something. Yeah. So the, the iPhone, I think only came out in like 2008 or something, you know? And, and so it was, it was very early on. I mean, that was actually back when I was still in school, I was a uh, class of 2012, I guess. And so, you know, as part of my undergrad, basically I like built the first version of the plot hound app which was just a Android and, and eventually an iOS application for navigating out to field plots, collecting data, and then sending that back to a website that would then work, work everything up. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so that was, for us, that was a really popular way for people to start engaging with us because it was free. You know, it, it solved yeah. a major problem that a lot of people have. I was certainly not the only one uh, writing up tally cards by hand. And so it, it solved uh, a big problem for a lot of people. And it's been, been a really nice, yeah, yeah. just a, sort of a nice marketing thing for us to do for the community. That's been really useful and, and saved a lot of people a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the, 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 the funny thing is there's still a lot of people out there still, dare I call it old school, um, still not even into that digital world, even though it's been several years that have, have passed from that point of view. Um, so, so looking at that, like those tools, like wide adoption, I think looking at your website, you know, there's some statistics that are showing, you know, uh, lots of usage, lots of like hundreds of thousand cruises done, et cetera, multiple states and whatnot. Um, with that comes, you know, as, as a freemium kind of model type of thing. I suspect a lot of requests of like, hey, can we have this? Can we have that, right. et cetera. And you guys were small back then. Um, so how did you how did you juggle, you know, trying to keep moving the, the products forward? Uh, obviously, there's product market fit as we think about that because you got adoption, people are using it and whatnot. Um, to monetize, you know, to go from that freemium to, to a paid um, is a separate discussion. But thinking of just the number of users, I'm assuming there was probably a, a massive nonstop inflow of like, Max, can we do this? Max, can we do this? And how did you juggle that and try and keep that customer relationship uh, whole and, and positive, just thinking limited resources, limited time. Everyone thinks the thing they want is the number one utmost priority. Are you going to pay for it? No, I have no money to pay for it, but it's the utmost priority, right? So how did you guys juggle uh, those competing interests as you, as you were even thinking about some of these other things you wanted to work on? Yeah, well, we, we had to say no a lot. Uh, and, and really our whole philosophy with Plot Hound from the beginning was that, you know, we needed something that would work for us internally, but we also wanted something that did, that worked for 80% of people. And so we wanted to be very streamlined because up until 
six months ago, we were a little 10 person company. Uh, that was 10 years in and plot hound was just one of many things we did. And actually, you know, our big moneymaker for most of our company's history was cruise boost and the remote sensing side of things. And so we, we really did plot hound just as a, a marketing thing more or less. And so we, we certainly yeah. made investment in that over the years and made it a little bit more flexible. Uh, but the core ethos of plot hound was always, we wanted somebody to be able to install the app, create an account on the website and be you know, on their way out in the woods in five minutes or less. That was, that was always the, the philosophy behind everything. And so that forced us to really keep it simple and really limited the complexity of, of the features that we would add. Right. Right. And that's brilliant by the sounds of it. Not that user is either like a, another person or someone internally by the sounds of it. Cause as you said, yep. it's the same tool you're using. So, Hey, that's brilliant marketing piece, but also your internal processes driven by that. So, so very cool. So recognizing now that, you know, your NCX and whatnot, as you said, and we'll, we'll get to there, the, the change, I'm really excited to learn more about it. Um, so where does that leave plot hound and cruise boost? I guess, thinking of those customers and whatnot are, is it really, Hey, it's out there. Uh, it's a great product. It, it's free. So, you know, free is free. Um, are you sunsetting it? Is there a lifetime to it or, or are you still using it internally or, or maybe tell our listeners, cause some of them, I know who are listening to this are probably, uh, either sure. already know I've got messaging, but they're probably also wondering, Hmm, is there something else, you know, we can get from max, but what's the plan for plot hound and cruise boost? Yeah, sure. So I'm plot hounds, my baby. I, I built the first version of Plot Hound, and you know Ch Charlie on our team is the one that that manages all the Plot Hound stuff these days. Uh, and and like you said, I mean, it's out there, it works. We're we're not putting a ton of new development effort into Plot Hound. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're keeping up, and it yeah, you know, it's a pretty low maintenance burden on our end, and yeah, you know, it'll it'll keep running. And uh, you know, it's always fun to see some of our biggest influxes of users every year are students at forestry schools all across oh, yeah. the u.s and so okay. it's always fun you know and it's just a, it's a nice thing that we we can do for the community and so and it's it's pretty low Very cost cool. for us to keep it up and so uh yeah i'm, I'm will, will there still be a plot hound yeah 50 years from now i don't know probably not I'm like people will probably like be sending robots around in the woods or something you know but yeah. for, for, for the meantime it's, it's something that's easy enough for us to keep out there and so right yeah that's uh you know and, and then the cruise boost side of things you know really we found that uh, most of the large landowners who, who are the primary customers of Cruise Boost in the first place are way more interested in talking about the carbon side of things than they are talking about the, uh, the you know, forest That's mapping. True. You know, I mean, the, the, this is the, the difference between a cost center of a business and a profit center of a business. And this has been one of the, the big learnings for me is it is a completely different conversation depending on which of these two sides of the business you're selling into. And so that's, that's been really interesting for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so maybe we'll, we'll look at accelerating, getting to that, that point where we, we can, uh, I, I can poke at you a bit more. So as we went through the journey and you jump in, if, if I, if I, I'm kind of putting pieces together as we go, but Microsoft came into the picture yep. prior to, to NCX uh, becoming what it is today. Uh, so maybe Microsoft's big engine, big organization. Obviously they got Azure cloud, many other cloud solution providers out there, but you guys chose Microsoft, you know, you went into uh, what I think is like some, ex not quite an accelerator in the truest sense, but uh, a partnership where you're both working on things, uh, but maybe tell our listeners um, how that came to be, what the program was about, I believe is, uh, is it Microsoft AI for earth, or I always yep. get them background uh, backwards, but maybe tell our listeners, 
you know, what that program is, how you guys got into it, and what really you wanted to get out of that uh, relationship in the end. Sure. Yeah. Well, so Microsoft AI for Earth is this program that Microsoft runs. That's the brainchild of Lucas Joppa, who's their chief environmental officer. And, and Microsoft was actually very, yeah, there, there's a couple of companies that have, have this title now. But you know, Microsoft is actually kind of surprisingly like you, you think Microsoft is, you know, I mean, Microsoft's been around for a long time, but they're actually really the one of the leaders, I'd say, in the sort of how do we be really smart about sustainability? And, you know, and, and they're smart, like Microsoft like knows that this is one of the major waves that's coming here in the early 21st century. And so they're they're working really hard to get out in front of that. In fact, Lucas is, uh, you know, he, he's always talking about the planetary computer is his big idea, you know, okay. uh, for, for Microsoft. And so that for them, AI for Earth is, uh, was kind of how they began starting to wrap their mind around, well, what's going on in the world of, of sustainability and the environment and computation. And so they would give out these grants to, you know, to academics, to NGOs, to small companies, startups um, that had interesting things that they were doing with either remote sensing data or, you know, any, any kind of data about the natural world that, you know, they could then use Azure credits to process or, or whatever. And so we, we were actually one of the earliest uh, AI for Earth grantees. And, you know, we, we saw this and we said, man, we're running Cruise Boost on kind of this project by project basis for all of our clients across the United States. And we sure would love to have a map of the entire U.S. You know, this is this has been a sparkle in Zach's eye since the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Can we go coast to coast mapping of of the full country? But it it was yeah, it was always a non-starter for us because it was going to be prohibitively expensive. And then we saw this AI for Earth program, and we said, "Hey, Lucas, uh, we heard you got unlimited." compute over there at Microsoft. And he's like, that is basically true. And we're like, well, you know, something really cool we could do if you gave us just an enormous amount of compute credits. And, uh, and so that was the origin of base map, uh, which, uh, we were really proud of. Uh, that was the first ever high resolution, uh, forest map of the whole continental United or contiguous United States. I always get them next up the lower 48, you know what I'm talking about. You got about. it. You got but it. Anyway. So the, uh, yeah, that was a, a an, an enormous effort to actually get that to work, and I, I actually uh, was was still kind of in the in the weeds working on that to get that the very first version of that through. Uh, you know, now we've got it down to a, a really streamlined process where we we run this every year and like maybe even every quarter uh, moving forward. But that, that was a huge huge push for us, and Microsoft was was hugely supportive of our first, uh, yeah, uh, kind of our very first iteration of that that base map to make it possible. Yeah, so I know on the on the website, base maps is described as as and yeah, I can only imagine, you know, building that pipeline. Um, probably how much pain there was at the start. <laughs> so much pain <laughs> versus now, where it's like looking back, what was it? Maybe it should have been that easier per se. But thinking of base map, I think looking at your your website, it's ingesting Landsat, NAEP, SRTM, different types of remotely sensed yep. data, marrying it with with boots on the ground data to create by base map, which is, which is totally cool because as I think about, and we've seen it um, in other marketplaces or data ecosystems where you have a lot of content providers yep. producing things and then using data and reselling it, you know, data as new oil. Um, but this is the first four centric large area mapping that to your point that you just said is repeatable. You're generating on a, a certain cadence. Like this is a game changer, no, in terms of, having this data available and, and using it, whether for your marketplace or other use cases, what's been the feedback from at that stage when you guys 
produced that out of the, the, the Microsoft program and that, that, that grant model, what was the, the, the feedback? Because I'm curious to know, like you and I have been at this for a while. Um, the world has changed. Whereas, you know, back when we used to uh, be on the grounds hustling type of thing, you know, we'd be talking about web services and, and the foresters would be like, what? It's like, what are you guys talking about? And then now it's like, Hey, Max, what's the rest, what's the rest endpoint I could hit? Is it secured or, you know, like the vocabulary um, has changed, but I'm going to assume that it wasn't like right away, everybody, like all the landowners, foresters like, Oh, it's like, yeah, I love this. I'm going to take it. Was there any skepticism or any doubt, you know, accuracy always pops to mind, et cetera. Share with me what, what some of those early days were like uh, in terms of base map when it came out. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, so we, we, you know, pretty immediately had a lot of inbound interest around people saying, you know, Hey, I want to get my hands on the state. I want to understand, you know, I've got some use case that I, that I want to apply it to. Uh, one of the interesting things though, is that a lot of people just, they were like, well, what would I do differently with this data? You know, how, how, where's, where's the actual value here? And, and that's one of the really powerful things about NCX is, you know, no one cares about the data per se. Yeah. The, the data is just bits on a hard drive in the sky somewhere. The, the real question is how is that data going to change the way you value and manage the forest? And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but you know, when, when it comes to the accuracy, of all this stuff, this is a, you know, a constant question. Yeah. You know, and this is what we spent the first 10 years of our business, you know, doing, you know, fighting a, a ground war, you know, just like state by state, region by region, forest type by forest type saying, you know, well, Hey, like what's the performance? How do we check this against ground data? And, you know, it's base map is not perfect. You know, I don't think we're ever going to get to a, a place where, you know, we have a perfect mapping of every twig on every tree, you know, and the question is, well, what's, you know, what's the point? Of doing that, right? The data is just the data. The real question is what what decisions do we want to make about the forest, and what is the appropriate uh, resolution? What is the appropriate precision of the data to be making those uh, those decisions? So yeah, yeah, that's it's a great point, and and it's it's kind of funny when we think back to some of our earlier days. Uh, I'm I'm seeing. I'm curious to see if you would you would agree that. When people are learning, they tend to gravitate to, I don't want to call them the obvious questions, but maybe the usual ones around accuracy and like how big's the data, you know, how do I move and stuff and, and times of change. And I love hearing um, like you messaging around and I'm going to paraphrase, there's a problem, whether it's a business problem or whatnot, like what do we need technology wise, whether it's one type of data or not to, to address that problem versus getting caught in the weeds is the 10 meter pixel is the 30 meter pixel is it what is it and what if uh, there's a new uh, the wood sat that's gone up in space you know how is that going to affect things and 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 so it's great to hear that but one thing I think I'd I'd be curious also to poke your brain on is um, uh, LIDAR has been still is you know the the hot button topic uh, you know depending who you 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 talk to it's almost like it, it it just came about yesterday even though you and I both know it's been around for decades. And, and really, when you dig back in the literature, it goes back to the 60s and some of the early technology. But how are you navigating that as we think about base map? Because obviously, to do it at that scale, you got to be spaceborne, leveraging all those different sources. And I, and I think from your website, you know, if you have LIDAR, great, you have hyperspectral, you know, it's almost like if you have these other nice to haves and fantastics, it's probably going to make a better, improved product. But how are you stick handling that as you're running across and, and saying, you know, we've got this thing. It's like, I'm assuming it's it's still the hot thing. Yeah, but Max, it's like, what about LiDAR and like single photon, Geiger mode, right? And like ISAT 2 and Jedi and all that that stuff uh, per se. How, how are, you, are you seeing that on the ground or, or really now 
the focus is on players that really aren't asking that question, those types of questions and are really focused on the business side of things. Yeah. Well, the, I think actually what, what you just finished with is, is becoming increasingly true. You know, it's, it's overwhelming the number of, of options that people have. And the reality is like, people don't care if you got like magic elves running around, like, you know, as, <laughs> as long as it's, as, as long as you can demonstrate that, yeah, like this has certain performance characteristics and, and critically that you can quantify that and then tie that to the business decisions. I mean, this is one of the things I actually think is, is really missing in the practice of modern forestry. You know, it's great to have all this data, but the, the question that almost no one can answer is, what is the appropriate level of precision to get in your estimates based on the financial decisions that you're trying to make? And it's, it's tough because, the, you know, it's, it's not enough to know what the precision is on your inventory for, you know, certain products. You know, that, that needs to get run through your growth model, through your mm -hmm. harvest schedule, or through your price estimates of all this. Stuff. And there's this compounding levels of uncertainty. And I, I think a lot of people don't really appreciate that. And so they end up with some number that, you know, like at each stage of that process right now, the imprecision gets truncated. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you just have like a point estimate and then, you know, and so you, you get some out of your harvest scheduler, some, you know, plus minus, you know, uh, confidence interval comes out and you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's what my, uh, that's, this is the range of values I should expect. And it's like, no, no, like you, you, what you should have done was like this ever expanding compounding right. uncertainty. And, and this can really, really womp you to the tune of like tens of millions of dollars, depending on the, the transactions that you're thinking about. And the technology and the systems just aren't there right now to propagate that uncertainty through the whole decision chain, which is really right. tough. Yeah. And so the, you know, it, it's tough, I think, generally to make a economic case for something, you know, for, for increasing precision generally without an understanding of like, okay, well, how does that translate all the way through the value chain? Because if, if you don't do that, then it's just like, yeah, like, the pictures are beautiful. And yeah. like, I mean, that's, that's true, but it's a question of like, well, is it worth it? And, yeah. and that is actually a tough uh, economic technical question to answer. And yeah. you know, that I don't think many people are set up to, to answer. Right. Well, now. absolutely. I, 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 you know, we, we've bumped into people where, where they're, you know, picking at things or nitpicking at things and, and they don't really have a foot to, to stand on reality. They don't even have in many cases, any form of, uh, I'll call it real data, or they've been using things that have they've always done in the past and have just assumed like it's good enough. It's not, you know, if it's not broken, then why would I look at this? And, and meanwhile, uh, I think that's missing the point of the opportunity that, yeah, it may not be broken, but the whole world's shifting. It's like, wouldn't you want to be more efficient? Wouldn't you be want to be more cost effective? You, wouldn't you want to be more sustainable or, or and all those different things? So I'm sensing there's a change and, and I'll be curious to, to near the end of this pod, kind of get your thoughts on, on seeing why you think that is. But I think this is a great segue to say, okay, so we, we're at the point now where, you know, you've got base map, uh, Sylvia, Tara, you know, you said you're around 10 uh, headcount and now you're the CEO, Zach's the CEO of NCX, uh, uh, you know, I always say FKA, uh, you know, formerly known as Sylvia Terra per se. Uh, there's all this, this jargon I'm sure you discover, right? OG, I remember when I first heard of it, I had to look it up like, well, what's an OG and stuff like that. But anyhow, um, but you're in that world now, right? Like you are venture back. Uh, tell me about how you got there, uh, who your backers are. Was this a walk in the park? You just kind of rolled up, you know, on maybe, I don't know, your mountain bike or whatever it is, your Tesla and, and boom, you walked in and they said, yeah, Zach, Max, love you guys. Boom, here we go. It's smooth sailing. Uh, I suspect there was still a bit of hustle that was required, but 
tell me what got you guys to that point to say, you know what, we want to raise and, and, and these are the folks we want to talk to, you know, me doing my research on your, on your backers, I'm, I'm sensing their specific investors you're looking for that shared a common vision on what the world could be. But, but, but walk me through that journey. I'm really curious now because it's like, this is stuff like, I don't know, we haven't talked about uh, before. So, so tell me about that journey. Yeah, totally. One and actually, just to clarify, so Zach is actually the CEO. I'm I'm the COO right. over here. You know, Zach Zach's the face. He's the big ideas guy. You know, <laughs> like I'm I'm just the one back here at home base trying to you know make the sausage. But the uh, yeah, the the funding thing for us, it it really was driven by the the sudden surge in willingness to pay for carbon. Yeah, the, like we we do not have a business transacting carbon if no one is interested in buying carbon. And it, it seems like so long ago because it was in the before times, but it was really just January, 2020, I think that Microsoft announced that they were going to be carbon negative right. or carbon, you know, whatever it was. And, and that really set off this parade of all these other corporations making these net zero pledges that actually continued through the pandemic. Uh, and, and so really, you know, cause I think a lot of these things had been in the work for, for a while. Uh, and so suddenly now there's this enormous willingness to pay for these things. And, and now it's a race, you know, and the question is like, who, who is going to provide these carbon credits to, you know, the fortune 500 and all these other uh, companies that are trying to, to make good on these net zero pledges. Mm-hmm. And, and so we were like, oh man, great. We're off to the races. So, you know, Microsoft makes this announcement in January, like we're working very closely with Microsoft. We're like, this is a great time to raise raise funding. And so we, we hit the road in February, 2020, started having a lot of great conversations and then the world fell off a cliff yeah. and, and it was really tough. I mean, like, you know, we, we continued trying to raise money throughout the, the early stages of the pandemic. And it was just like complete strikeout. Nobody, you know, we got, got a lot of meetings and got zero yeses uh, for months and months and months. Uh, and it wasn't actually until, um, yeah, I think it must've been like September when we met with uh, version one, uh, which is a San Francisco uh, VC firm, and then uh, Union Square Ventures, which is a, a New York VC firm uh, that often co-invest together on on deals. And uh, they both immediately got it. I mean, they're both kind of marketplace style investors. They invest in lots of different marketplaces. And so they immediately got what we were trying to do, connecting the Fortune 500 with all these landowners and sort of making that a easy, transparent, fluid, uh, liquid process. And yeah, and it was kind of a whirlwind thing. You know, we, we had a meeting. I, I think I had a meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with the version one guys, and then they were ready to sign a term. Wow. And uh, yeah, and so it, it changed just so fast. And, uh, and, you know, and then what's been crazy is that was our seed round, which closed around Thanksgiving last year. And then we just raised our series A uh, in April. So, you know, like less than six months or something later, just because the, the markets right now are so hot for yeah. funding stuff and there's so much demand for, um, a lot of dry powder on the side there. Yeah, yeah, and... exactly. And, you know, the Federal Reserve money cannon is just like running full full bore over there. So th- there's a lot of money out there. And so we said, you know, I know we just raised our, our seed round, but it feels like the money is cheap and we have a lot of work to do and we know exactly how we're going to spend this money. And so actually since since our seed round, we actually, uh, we've gone from 10 people to 30 and we'll probably double wow. again. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a crazy year for us, but it's uh, it's been... It's been a hell of a ride. And so our, our Series A, which we we just closed back in in April, so that was led by Mark Benioff, who's the Salesforce CEO, 
yep. uh, and joined by the Microsoft Climate Innovation Fund and then other people from our, our seed round. Uh, and that, that's just been a fascinating life experience. You know, Zach and I went and met with Mark and, and he's, I've never met anybody like, like him, you know, and the, the reason we got connected to Mark in the first place was, you know, he had stood up at Davos a year or two ago and it was like a trillion trees, you know, and he yeah. was really sort of beating the drum on that. And so he, he was kind of like in our sights there for, you know, because we're like, oh, here, here's somebody with, you know, that's talking a lot about trees that, you know, seems like directionally correct. Like, you know, it's, we're, we're not like totally aligned. So like, we got to you know, get him, get him on the, the NCX, uh, playbook over yeah. here. Uh, but yeah, through, through some of our seed round investors, we, we got connected to him and yeah, he, he immediately got what we were trying to do. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it's, it. it's fascinating because once you start meeting some of those, um, you know, those CEOs of these large companies, like, like in some respects, I always say like at the end of the day, people are human beings. So even though they're CEO of Salesforce or, you know, CEO of Microsoft, they're still human beings at the end of the day. And, and, and in some respects, it's like, you know, I can only imagine how cool it was. It probably a bit scary, maybe like, Oh, I'm, we're about to go meet Mark or something like that. Like, like, what do we do and stuff like that. But um, thinking of your seed series, like, did you guys have like a warm intro into some of those investors? Cause often we hear, uh, you know, I've sat on different things where it's like, you know, they're actually pitching um, startup founders and whatnot. And then often you'll hear it's like, no, don't, don't cold, don't cold call me like that. There's too many of you, but out of curiosity, because again, forestry, forestry technology, forestry, right. like it's, it's not like semi-autonomous vehicles right now where it's like, like, uh, like it's cool. Don't get me wrong. Cause we're in the space as well. But did you have like somebody kind of nudging you like that, maybe that mentor card, or uh, was there a kind of a warm intro that kind of got you going, or was it really, you know, again, you guys hustling, you guys have done it. Well, I've always admired you guys. For that, but you guys are just hustling, just hitting the ground calling. And I didn't realize it was Feb 2020. Like, Oh my God, like, like the worst, the yeah. worst, <laughs> the worst time. Like everyone's freaking out and, and you guys are trying to do this. So hats off to you guys, but did you guys have like a warm intro to kind of pull you on that journey or it was just pure hustle? Uh, well, we, we ran through our warm intros in the first like two months, you know, and that was like six months in the desert. And yeah, you know, it was a lot of just like being really tenacious and, you know, the, you know, I mean, there's some element of timing, you know, it's like by Thanksgiving, people are starting to feel better. You know, there's starting to be some, you know, uh, vaccine rollout and, you know, some macro things were, were going a little bit better. You know, I, I think, I think we were correct that there was this big upswing in interest for sustainability focused things generally. Uh, and yeah, it was just unfortunate that the pandemic really, uh, really disrupted a lot of, oh yeah. And it's like, we, we were lucky, you know, like our, our business actually did not get super disrupted. We were all remote, uh, from the beginning, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and it's like, overall, actually, we made it through the pandemic pretty, pretty well. So we were very lucky there, but it, it certainly made that fundraising very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, today, I guess it's kind of the norm, I guess, to do it virtual. Like the yeah. people I talk to, it, it's kind of stabilized, steady state, assume it's virtual, although things are opening up. Um, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating story there. And and so I, with NCX, so we've pivoted. So let's get to that pivoting side of things. Like, like clearly, um, and again, I'm I'm gonna say this, and you correct me if wrong. Plot hounds important, um, you know. Cruise boost is important, but really, the narrative shifting more to carbon, focusing on that, a marketplace where there's landowners, and walk us through the thinking now, the the new business model, because I'm I suspect NCX is not a SaaS company for uh, plot hound or cruise boost. <laughs> it's pivoted. 
what's the what's the premise there now or what's the the spiel you give to people in terms of what ncx is today especially for our listeners because they'll know civiliter they'll know you and zach right and and um and and some of them i know i've talked to they're like yeah it's like what's going on there i'm like oh they're vc back now they're they're on a rocket ship so it's like you know and for them a lot of forcers they don't really you know not being in that tech space knows what's that what that means but for our listeners now like like what's this mean for uh ncx and what's the direction yeah, well, I mean, Zach's vision from the beginning was always, you know, how do we, how do we change the way forests are valued and managed? How, you know, it's like the 21st century now. It seems like we should be doing better than just valuing forests for timber. And and so for us, carbon makes a lot of sense as a place to start. You know, you'll, we we call it NCX for the Natural Capital Exchange, uh, and, and that was intentionally not the carbon exchange because there's all okay. sorts of values that forests provide. You know, it, we, we don't want to be myopically focused on, on just carbon, you know, but also wildlife for reducing fire risk or better water quality or quantity. You know, it's, there's all of these things we want more of or less about in the woods. And we just, we don't really have great levers as a society to pay to get more or less of these things. In fact, the only thing that you can really do is buy land and then manage it differently. But that, that doesn't really scale. I mean, land is, is pretty expensive as, as far as things go. And, uh, yeah, and so for us, the the pivot to NCX was really driven by this idea that like, yeah, data is great. It's important to have data. Uh, measurements really matter, but the data is not what's valuable here. It's the underlying forest that's valuable and being able to use that data to change the way the forest is valued and managed. That's where the big value unlock comes here. When you can go to landowners and say, hey, I know you got a thousand acres of forest land and you've only been being paid for the timber on this land. Would you right. like also to be paid for the carbon or for the red cockaded woodpecker habitat or, you know, for like whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and there's just been no mechanism for that. You know, timber works because timber's easy in a sense. You cut down a tree, you roll it across the scale at a mill and you get paid by the ton. And so it's easy for the buyers and sellers to quantify what's being transacted and everybody feels like they're getting a fair shake. But for carbon, fire risk, wildlife habitat, you know, all this stuff that happens out in the woods, We've never had a great way to measure and pay for value. And so the transaction volume in these markets is pathetic you know, yeah. relative to the importance that they have for our society. And so really the whole thesis of what we're doing at NCX is, okay, well, with Basemap now, where we measure every acre every year, we've got the measurements right. And so now let's just put all these ecosystem service things, all, the, all these types of natural capital on the same economic footing as the timber. And so from a landowner's perspective, we want to make it as easy to sell your carbon as it is to sell your timber. And, and we right. do all the, the measurement and monitoring to make that possible. Right. Very, very cool. And, and when you talk about ecosystem services, I think back to my undergrad days where I, his name, Richard Florida, he was uh, doing a lot of work and, and trying to quantify what um, ecosystem services are worth and, and actual dollars to try and bridge and make that connection with society in terms of these things, you know, you go in the back country, you're camping and stuff, but there's value there. And how do you put it on a, at a parody where people can relate to it and go, yeah, this is worth X to me. So that, that's totally cool. Love that. Um, thinking about uh, that, like, is this unique? Like what NCX is doing or other, um, uh, is it kind of, uh, what is it? Uh, the same, the blue ocean sand or something like, is this something a wide open you guys are blazing the trails uh, per se, or do you feel like um, you're always looking behind the, the, because you're VC back now. So you're on the radar. There's probably always startups, you know, kind of trying to do different things. So thinking about NCX and, and the positioning, where do you see the, the short-term piece? Like obviously continental U S uh, that was where continental U S right. Versus uh, the contiguous side, but I know what you mean. Um, but what's the play like focus on the U S is the grand plans. 
I'm going to assume based on what you sort of like scale this sucker out globally, the Americas and start going elsewhere, then have a, dare I say, we're into that digital twinning of the earth and, and we've got all, you know, we can go geek, geek uh, completely on this call. You know, are we going into that, the web 3.0 with crypto and a metaverse and everything's digital and, and tokenizing things like that's something I'd be curious in terms of some of the stuff you guys were doing with NCX. It's like, well, if it's an asset, as you said, that's, that's a construct of value. There's lots of assets right now. You know, you, you've watched the NFTs, right. And, and, and going, could there be a world where these assets with the ecosystem service are tokenized and then people can, I don't know, that's pretty far out there, but uh, to the original question, um, what, what's the, what's the short-term plan? What's the big vision that if you guys can achieve that, because again, you're on the, the wave, right? You're series A. So BEC is coming, you're going hundred miles per hour, going fast, 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 put the seatbelt on, but uh, where's the world looking like for you guys in the short-term and the, the long-term? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, and you'd asked originally, like, you know, what does the landscape look like? Like, who, who else is out there? And I mean, it's, it's uh, we're, we're building on the work of the early players in the forest carbon markets. I mean, people have been doing forest carbon projects for the last, you know, 10, 15, you know, however long it's been. Uh, and and that was really pioneering work, you know, and we're starting to see like some stuff come out now, some of these like Bloomberg articles and, and ProPublica articles about some of the the shortcomings of, of those projects. And, you know, r- really, I think our, our responsibility as, as foresters in the 21st century is to see, you know, like, well, listen, that was, those guys were making a start at this, you know, that was the very first time people had tried to do that. And like, was it going to be perfect? No. Like, is, is what we do perfect? No. Like, but the, the objective should always be like, can we quantify how well we're performing and can we constantly improve? And so that's, you know, I, I really view what we're doing at NCX as an evolution of the sort of early work that people had done in forest carbon projects, whereas, you know, it was kind of boutique, it was a little clunky, you know, you had to sign up, you, you would go project by project, you know, you have to sign a hundred year contract, the measurement and monitoring costs were like, took two years and $200,000 so that only the really big landowners could, could do it. And, and we've kind of taken that model and said, you know, the good thing here is that there are real transactions happening where you're paying people to grow older, more carbon-rich trees, which is ultimately what the game is all about. But when you when you have a data set like BaseMap, where you're measuring every acre every year, it allows you to just totally reconceptualize how this works. And instead of doing a system where you pay all the money up front and then you pray that for the next hundred years the forest doesn't burn down right. or whatever, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of think of that as the the pay and pray approach, which like you know you, you can do, but you know, if, if I was spending my own money, I'd, I'd want to do more of a payment for performance or a payment on delivery system where every year right. you get paid for the actual value that you've delivered. And so you could never do that before because the measurement and monitoring would have just been prohibitive. But now that we're measuring every acre every year with BaseMap, we can really do a kind of new economic model for this that's a lot more fluid, that's a lot more flexible, that works for landowners. Because, you, you know, for us with NCX now, we can show up to a landowner and we say, hey, do you want to participate in forest carbon projects? And they're like, well... I'm kind of interested, but I heard like, you know, it's going to, I'd have to sign a hundred year thing. And we say, no, no, no. It's a one year right. thing. Like just don't cut down your trees this year. And then we'll talk again next year. And and for us, it's this, you know, one of the things that I think is most sort of intellectually beautiful about what we do is we treat the whole country basically as a forest carbon project. You know, there's only one atmosphere. The reality is there's only one forest carbon project. It's That's called right. planet earth. That's right. right. And so the question though is, okay, well, what do you want to have happen? 
next year. Like, let's not think about a hundred years from now. I think a lot of people get confused because they've got some idea of permanence and it's like, there is no permanence in these, these complex real world systems. You know, we gave up on steady state ecology in the seventies, mm-hmm. right? So what do we want to have happen next year? Like, let's start thinking at the margin because that's where all economics happens is at the margin. What we want to have happen next year is we want people to grow slightly older, slightly more carbon rich trees. And so what's unique about NCX is it's this economic model that accomplishes that every year. We're identifying what acres do we send dollars to to create the most climate impact for the least cost at the margin cool. and, and really change people's behavior. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, hey, hey, man, and, you know, I appreciate your time. I, I know you're a busy guy. Um, you know, so as we wind down, we got a couple last questions there in terms of I'm just really curious. So, um, you know, on my side, it's like, you know, we're we're we're, we're like a Sylvia Terra bootstrap still and. Um, going forward, I'm going to assume like you've kind of used the word uh, wild ride the last little right. while. How has this experience changed Max Nova? Like I'm assuming <laughs> like young guy, you know, you're going fast, et cetera. You're in Austin, Texas now, you know, as we talk about, uh, you know, Zach uh, doing different things. But, uh, you know, one thing I've always loved about you, just very uh, humble guy, you know, I'm just doing the back end. I'm like, yeah, but that's the magic. It's what makes all this thing, these things hums, right? And you, you can't do without it. But How's this experience um, going from Sylvia Terra to NCX, being venture back on on the series uh, uh, ride there? How how has that changed Max and his and his views on the world? Yeah, well, the uh, I I try not to feel anything anymore. You know, the uh, I mean, we we've been through so many ups and downs over the last ten years of doing this business. I mean, th- this is where we thought we were going to be two years in. You know, it took us like. 11 years to get here. A lot of people are like, oh man, you guys are on a rocket ship. I'm like, man, this is like 11 years in at this point. You know, this has been- It's the slowest rocket ship ever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it's just like the, I I think it's it's a testament to Zach's vision actually at the the origin of all this. I mean, Zach Zach was a decade ahead of everybody back 10 years ago when we started. It's like he kind of saw all this back back then. And so it's been been really rewarding to, to actually- help manifest this across the landscape. I mean, we did the single largest forest carbon project in the U.S. by acreage on our first try, you know, and, and we just had our summer cycle, which was even bigger. And uh, so it's been awesome yeah, just to like watch yeah. that watch that play out on, on the landscape. But uh, we, we still have so much work to do. I mean, we're like at the very beginning of this whole thing still, I think. And so I'm just, you know, we're, we're all trying to keep our heads screwed on straight and just like do the work one foot in front of the other. I mean, it's pretty clear. It's like, you know, you asked what, what's the plan? It's like, well, ultimately, we want to be working with every landowner on every acre for every value, you know, not just carbon, yep. but wildlife and timber, you know, and all these things and like figuring out how do we, how do we get the landscape that society is willing to pay for? I mean, that's, that's ultimately what we're, we're trying to do here, but that's, that's several lifetimes of work. So we, you know, we're working hard. <laughs> well, that's what you say. You just need a couple more rocket ships uh, strapped on maybe faster moving ones and you're good to go. Uh, yeah, definitely could share that, uh, you know, forestry, uh, yeah, you're a guy I could explain this to you. I know you're going to get it. I'd be curious to know your thought. Being venture back now, often there's these landscape pictures, right? You can look at uh, big data, whatever, and there's these boxes that puts people in and whatnot. And as I watch the world unfold, uh, precision agriculture, precision forestry, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, these are like new terms. And you and I know they've been around for decades or they just kind of go through this reincarnation, if you will. But one thing that's always irked me, and maybe this is a, a, a call to action to you and me and some other people, is that when we look at that landscape, there's ag tech. Okay, great. I get it. Ag's important. We're feeding people, you know, there's quite broad. 
I never, ever see forestry tech or fortech. I ever. And then whenever I talk about it, it's like, well, you guys are just agriculture. I'm like, excuse me? It's like, no, it's like, I don't think a for forester would, would say that they're, they're necessarily uh, commercial agriculture as we know it today. But thinking of that, are you seeing patterns where there's a, a fortech or a silva tech or a silvia tech or, or whatever it is? coming because definitely you're seeing that that space like the vc space going in the the, the actual like space space yeah. uh, space it's a different community than the traditional eo players uh to some extent um do you think there's a we're going to see a forestry tech box forming that we can put our logos in there proudly sure. but what do you think on that what are you seeing on the ground yeah i mean i think there already is starting to be sort of the the rumblings of a climate tech ecosystem oh, okay. is, is what people are calling it. But, you know, I mean, from, from a just, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. Right. And the thing is like, well, what's the annual value of the timber harvest in the U S it's like about $10 billion. What's the annual value of the agricultural production of the U S every year. It's about $400 billion. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's why I hear a lot about uh, precision agriculture, but, you know, I think if, if we're successful in our, in our mission as a company and we help these landowners unlock the full value of their land, I, I think like actually, forestry is going to start to be a major economic player because they're, I, the whole thesis of our company is that forests are systematically undervalued because we're only paying for the timber in these woods right now. And everybody knows that the woods are, are more valuable than just the timber. And yeah. uh, so it'll be an interesting decade to see, yeah. uh, see where we start and where we end. Absolutely. Absolutely. So second last question, what are the trends in technology you're seeing as, as the COO building pipelines in Azure, dealing with big data, multiple space satellite systems going up there. Uh, where do you see the, the trends for our, our, our digital forcers that are more like us, very tech savvy, already doing some of these things. They're not afraid of our data science. Uh, from, from, from your seat, where, what trends are you seeing in the, the geospace? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they don't let me write code anymore these days. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Nam Pond, who's our, our chief data scientist, and, and Mike, who's our, our CTO, they, 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 they're really the ones that are making the magic happen. I, I just like, I, I manage managers these days, which has been a personal, you know, change, change for me. But, you know, when, when I look at the space, I think data science as a profession is, I mean, that's really what we do here. And, and whenever foresters are trying to figure out like, how do we take this data and use that to make better decisions? I mean, the, yeah, you, yeah. Anybody listening to this, you like, get your, get your title changed to data scientist, and then they'll have to pay you a lot more money. But the, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, th that's what it's about. And the tooling for that has gotten much, much better. I mean, in fact, my, my sister actually like runs machine learning platform at Databricks now, you know, wow. which is one of these San Francisco companies that's trying to make data scientist workflows more productive and more repeatable and, you know, have version control for statistical models and like all, all these basic things that, you know, we, we really rolled our own for the first yeah. 10 years of the company. It's like they worked, but you know, it, it's so much easier to get started these days. Uh, and, and so that, that's a big sort of meta shift that I think is going to accelerate progress and all this stuff. And, and there'll always be new sensors, you know, like I, I kind of didn't really talk too much about the, the LIDAR thing. It's like LIDAR is great. Uh, you know, radar, uh, SAR yep. satellites are great. Like, but all, all of this stuff I think is really just an input uh, into this modeling process. And the question is, well, what precision improvement do you get in your estimates uh, at the tail end of that thing? And that that's what determines whether or not these things are worth it. And so that's something that we always keep an eye on because like it makes a real difference for your economics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a exciting, it's an exciting time and things are getting easier and easier to do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. 
So that's awesome. Awesome. Well, Max, thanks so much for your time. I was so looking forward to, to chatting with you. It's been, I don't even know how many years, but definitely many, uh, many years. So wanted to thank you and your team for, for, for agreeing to participate in this podcast. I think our listeners are going to love hearing the story here. There's like a lot of cool stuff. I'm going to be watching NCX and seeing where you guys are go. For our listeners who want to get a hold of you, um, how do they reach you? LinkedIn website, email, what's the best way? Yeah, I'm, I'm just max at ncx.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, my friend, thanks so much for joining. I'm wishing you all the best. Make sure to keep that seatbelt nice and uh, tight. <laughs> snug. And, yeah. <laughs> snug and snug. looking forward to, to chatting with you in the future and seeing all the great things you guys are going to do. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks for having me, Kevin. 